Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today, Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you? Doing well, thank you. We, we want to talk about Ukraine, How see how they're doing. Yeah. But it looks like they're, uh, they believe in voting, you know. Uh, there's going to be some type of referendum. You know, I keep thinking, how, how many... How many times have we interfered in elections around the world? Yeah. It looks like they did have a referendum uh, in 2014, and we didn't like it. So uh, we got rid of him. Yeah. And so we had our own election and got rid of their elected leaders. And it's, it's, uh, such, a, it's uh, such a joke, really. But yet, I'm a strong believer in self-determination. I think the least government you have, the more self-determination is the people just, you know, know how to get along or they're yeah. forced into it. But anyway, it's a mess over there, and there's a lot more guns over there now than there were in 2014. But the world started to change significantly in 2014, especially for the Ukraine area and with what Russia is doing. But um, right now, uh, there's the claim in the media that the Ukrainians have made a big advance and Russia's on the defense, and now uh, uh, the Russians want to have a referendum, Eastern, Eastern Ukraine, to find out the uh, area that has mostly the Russian uh, citizens, uh, see which way they go. I think it's a, a, a pretty uh, a foregone conclusion that they'll be voting, uh, you know, for uh, going with Russia. But it's a, this is the kind of thing that if, if uh, governments and the politicians and the, uh, the insiders would be a little bit more tolerant of people practicing self-determination, they wouldn't have this problem. They'd probably have, have two separate com companies or maybe an alliance, maybe, a, you know, a loosely associated. But no, when the, other, when the outsiders get involved and uh, the people get really excited about this, can it be solved with this uh, referendum? I think they ought to try, but I think that uh, we have a referendum every, uh, every year, every two years, every four years, and uh, it doesn't seem to settle much. Yeah. Eventually, if you have anything leading to pure democracy or artificial elections in, uh, in authoritarian states, there is no meaning to it. There is, uh, you, know, you know, the Russians always, the Soviets had elections, but nobody, nobody believed they were significant. So anyway, they're going through this. It could very well be uh, significant. Putin, Putin is going to make his comments, and uh, I guess uh, the biggest concern I would have for for the world is: Are they going to pull this off and have a referendum, and everybody's going to be happier than they were before? But you know, the threats that have come from Ukraine are are pretty uh, pretty uh, clear cut, and uh, of course, uh, they when they speak. They speak with uh, somebody backing them up, like NATO yeah. <laughs> and the United States. So uh, it's not like uh, it, there's a few people left in Ukraine that the Russians are trying to submit and have them submit uh, to them. So it'll be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, I wish it would be so. I'd be so optimistic. I said a lot of good can come of it. Maybe some good can come from it, but it's also sort of like a, a time bomb. You just don't know. Things could just deteriorate right in the middle of the referendum or shortly thereafter. Who knows? Yeah, you're right to date back to 2014, which is when the U.S. was involved in the coup there. But also in the, you know, when we talk about self-determination, well, that was the whole point of the Minsk Agreement, 
which would have given some autonomy to those eastern republics. And if Ukraine had implemented it, probably we would not be where we are now in this, in this war that we're looking at. Um, let's put up the first clip because these are the two important things today that we're looking out for. The first uh, is the fact that President Putin will probably hold a speech just in a couple of hours along with his uh, defense minister. Uh, rumor is that he'll be talking about the referendums in the Lugansk Republic, Donetsk Republic, Kherson, and Zaporozhye, uh, and also possibly talking about um, mobilization. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's difficult, of course, you know, as, as a former election observer, obviously, it's difficult to hold a referendum when you're in a state of war. There's no question about it. Voting gets very complicated. Uh, now, Crimea was different because it wasn't militarily occupied and there wasn't a hot war going on. I think it's difficult to hold it. But if you look at voting patterns, and I think you suggested this in your opening statement, this part of Ukraine did vote, you know, like 90% for the pro-Russia candidate for, uh, in, in Ukraine. So if you look at that, you probably can get a sense of, of how they might vote, even though, as, you, as, as I say, it's difficult. So what is the significance of these, these referenda? Well, it's not just because they want to have uh, to, to demonstrate that they're going to join Russia. Uh, the whole purpose of it is, uh, is to take on a new uh, legal status. And they've put this uh, next clip on, if you can. Um, okay, so this is, uh, I mentioned this. Let's do the next one. So in the Duma, in their parliament, they have already adopted legislation about mobilization, which means a full-on war. And this is Zoltan Koskovic. She's a he's in a think tank in Hungary, and he makes this important point: uh, the re referenda all across Russian occupied Ukraine from September 23rd to the 27th. And this is the important part, Dr. Paul. Russian military doctrine allows for very different rules of engagement when it, armed forces are fighting on Russian land. So if these eastern republics become part of Russia, at least according to Moscow, they will have different rules of engagement. Right now, the fighting in the east, to a large degree, is being done by local militias. This will mean that the proper Russian army, Russian military, may well be deployed there. So it, it could be a significant escalation militarily. Yeah, there sure is, uh, would be. And uh, I think most people believe that uh, in this election, that uh, there will be a lot of sympathy expressed, uh, you know, for for Russia, but that will only antagonize and excite NATO and a few other people, and uh, they they will get very much involved. But uh, it's a time bomb that, as far as I'm concerned, is all preventable. But human nature is such that this has been going on uh, for so long, and uh, I I still have this sneaky suspicion that if you could get young people together. Uh, say those uh, up to 25, uh, those who are in the age where uh, the deaths are, occur once the wars really break out. And, you know, it, it just it, in a sober mo a moment, say, do you like this idea of uh, next week? You, you have to go there and chase those Russians out of there. I, mean, I just don't think, you know, the average person, because everything has to be hyped up. And uh, that's, that's what we do to our soldiers. Everybody gets hyped up, not only the soldiers, 
the soldiers get hyped up because the people finally have an enemy. I mean, we I don't know if it could have been anything worse than the hype after 9-11. And uh, they had such an easy target. All they had to do was talk about uh, the bombing of the towers and, and people were ready to do whatever. Yet it turns out now that uh, people are very skeptical of the whole scenario and what went on over there. But the people were there and they were ready to go to war and we ended up with all that war in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's why uh, you know it's so 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 dangerous uh, for people to interfere, and I I just think that uh, the the biggest compl- complication is the fact that outsiders are involved in uh, in the states, but inside the countries. But people want uh, people sort of, sort of like this idea of, of globalism. You know that you get together and you have trade policies and you have peace treaties and you do all that. But it's this whole notion, because globalism is the ultimate end point of destroying individualism. So if you want, if you want the smallest unit of government that would best serve the world, if it were respected, would be the family unit, you know, in local communities and the churches, which and we had a lot of that in our early history. I mean, the schools and the churches and the hospitals were all done very, very locally. But now you have to get permission from the United Nations and NATO <laughs> another organization and besides the inevitability of a situation like that is a financial bankruptcy and really moral bankruptcy as well and that's where we are and that's why there will be no easy solution here yeah definitely moral bankruptcy is a good way to discuss to describe our foreign policy you know Viktor Orban the Prime Minister of Hungary he was at a private meeting I think over the weekend uh, and it's reported that he was talking about he's really making the point that the West has made what would be a, would have been a very local conflict into now a global war by intervening, and I think that's a very good point that he makes. He also says that the Europeans are shooting themselves in the foot with these sanctions because it's destroying their economy, uh, and that Ukraine could end up losing a third to a half of its territory because of this, all because of Western interference in what was really a very localized dispute. So. The question is, if this is an escalation, if, if this is going to have a referendum and join Russia, so what may have precipitated? Well, I think one thing is the Kharkov counteroffensive, which I think surprised a lot of people. The Ukrainians were able to take back a lot of territory in the Northeast, and they say, well, a lot of it was empty because the Russians pulled out. There's a lot of reasons for it, perhaps, but nevertheless, the optics are there that Ukraine has made a major advance, even if it may be temporary. But that may have, that may have pushed it on. But the other thing is the Biden administration apparently pondering the idea of sending much longer-ranged missiles into Ukraine. And let's put this next one up. This is from Reuters. Russia says longer-range U.S. missiles for Kiev would cross the red line. Uh, these are missiles that could strike deep into Russian territory. We've already seen the HIMARS missiles that the U.S. sent. The shorter-range missiles have gone into Donetsk. There was a horrible, gruesome uh, strike in the center of town yesterday in Donetsk. It killed I think 13 civilians. So we're seeing them used against civilians, and I think the Russians are looking at longer-range missiles, uh, maybe striking the the bridge on the Kerch Strait or striking deep into Russia. They've said it very clearly: this is our red line. So it's. I think this is a very sobering moment. I think it's very dangerous. I do hope that there are a few sane people left in the Biden administration that will realize this is not the time to escalate and bring us closer to a nuclear war because. Like it or not, the Russians are not going to back down. They view this as an existential issue. We don't have to agree with or disagree with it. It's a fact. And we're, get, we're getting involved in something, Dr. Paul, that 
we have no business being involved in, and certainly do we want to give up New York, Washington, <laughs> half of our country, maybe even just down here with all the refineries because Ukraine's borders are in dispute? I don't think it's a good trade. Well, you know, there's always a lot of promises, and uh, the people can be led, misled by the promises our governments make. But there were, there were promises all along the way since World War II, you know, about how things would be handled around the, the Russian border. And, uh, and that all fell apart. And it wasn't, it wasn't like uh, it was Russia invading Ukraine. Uh, that, that whole mess came from the fact that we made a lot of promises. So now, even if they come up with something and they all of a sudden say, hey, there's way too many weapons here and there, somebody's thinking about dropping a nuke on it. We're going to get together and have some agreements. We'd probably say, hopefully, yes, and talk, about it, but you've got to be realistic. Who's going to obey the agreements? <laughs> you know, and, and we have to, and then the, the pickle we get put into is uh, we have to talk about our own government, which is more our responsibility. Uh, can can we trust them yeah. uh, to do what they said? Because there's a lot of times when it's just necessary. Uh, you know, uh, there there were times when uh, Reagan talked to the Soviets when a lot of people in this country didn't want them to, and yet it was a movement in a certain direction, and uh, that's what they. Have have to worry about the other thing I think that gets us into this these kind of problem is this uh, misunderstanding about sanctions. Sanctions is uh, you know a, a, good, a good compromise. Let's yeah. just put on sanctions. Let's punish them and they, and they will behave themselves. And uh, then right now I think uh, I think the trade war is just building and building and it's getting it's, it's building now because the original sanctions, the uh, war mongering that is going on, but also the COVID is going on. Also the end of the uh, trade cycle caused by money managers. Uh, you have to have downturns and you have to have the cleansing of the mail investment and the debt. All these things are, are com coming together. And then the, the trade war is, it, is intensifying right now. And, uh, and that's, uh, that to me is uh, really a problem. But then uh, all along the way, especially since World War One, they said, oh, what we need is an international government. Well, they tried the League of Nations, and that, uh, people said, no, that's not going to work. So, but the United Nations, that's working. And uh, in addition, they, uh, they don't have, the United Nations doesn't have an army, but we'll, get, we'll create an army in yeah. NATO. And, and it just goes on and on, dependency on government. And uh, government, you say, well, they're big and powerful. Yes, they are, because the people either don't know what's going on or they're too complacent, and we allow that to happen, and there is a vacuum out there. And uh, so the international community uh, is a big deal, because that's where a lot of the support will come. But then you have two groups. You have, uh, you know, of course, in the Cold War, you had the Soviet system versus, versus the West, and uh, the transition never turned out to be quite what I had hoped for myself personally. Well, let's move on to something a little closer to home, and this raises a lot of issues, and, and uh, you, you, uh, you have some thoughts on this that are probably different than, that are different than how it's going to be portrayed. Let's put up that next clip. This is uh, dealing with Yeshiva University in New York. It's one of the, uh, go back one, please. It's, here we go. Supreme Court reverses itself, rules Yeshiva University must recognize LGBT club. This is an Orthodox Jewish university founded in 1897. Very conservative. Uh, it holds very close to its view, which is an old, we, what we would call the Old Testament, they call the Torah. Um, 
so now the uh, it, it's complicated to explain what happened, but at least temporarily, while the case is ongoing, the Supreme Court has ruled that they must accept an LGBT uh, student union, uh, even though the university argues that it would violate its religious yeah, teachings. And, and I think there's a hold on this, and there still will be debates because I think some of uh, the conservatives. That doesn't mean they're going to vote exactly as, as maybe they should. But I, I think there's a hold on this and it eventually go back into the courts. But uh, they're temporarily, it, they, uh, the Supreme Court um, had an action that identified that they, it's, uh, they, they can uh, uh, cancel, they can prevent the uh, uh, club, for L, L, LGBT club from forming. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I don't think they've touched it because I went through this article the best I can. I might have missed it. But what I always want to know when they get into this is uh, who, who's, who has the authority and responsibility of the church or the building or the property? Because if people had a clear understanding of property, and that it was his private property, uh, you, you could say, well, uh, you know, if they're going to say such and such, uh, that's uh, their freedom of speech, and we can't march in there and take care of it to tell them they have to change it. But the one thing I don't know, because almost every university, you know, even the, the conservative uh, universities uh, in this country, they were very conservative and didn't want government involved, but they even cracked down on them because some students had a student loan from the government, and yeah. therefore they own, they own and they can control uh, the, the, uh, the school. And uh, I don't know whether they t even take money. My guess is hardly anybody can avoid taking money yeah, you know, in, some in some way. Another. But they, said it, they certainly wanted to uh, watch, uh, you, you know, be independent. But, you know, uh, even if it does, it does get real uh, messy in there, oh, you're waiting for the ownership and we can't decide this and all. Well, if, if there is a controversy like this, uh, and it, it does not involve uh, violence and killing and war and all this, I think it, the decision ought to all be, you know, to more leniency, you know, let, let, them, let them meet and all. Because, you know, if we had a private university and, uh, you know, we have a, a private uh, school group, a homeschooling group, yeah. but if, if somebody wants to get in there and their main goal was trying to rally the cry with terrorists and teaching them how to make bombs yeah. and all this, I mean, there, there, there's a time when, uh, you know, there's a clear and present danger from that and you don't do that. But it should be determined by the by, by the private owners and yeah. control. So I always ask, uh, yeah, I've often wrestled with this a little bit in public school. Yeah. Public schools is a government entity, but they're local sometimes. And then they'll come in with dress codes. And, uh, okay, what if you didn't have a dress code? Uh, pretty soon it'd be a bunch of pretty raunchy looking kids yeah. coming in no without discipline and and so but i but i think under those circumstances the authorities who has assumed the responsibility might have to make tough tough decision but if you have a libertarian leaning you always make it in the direction of allowing the maximum amount of freedom if you are not encouraging or promoting violence yeah that's absolutely true well let's let's move on to our last story because we want to end on a good news story and let's put up that next that next clip, um, and this is a piece by Josh Rod Rogan, who's, who calls himself a neoliberal, I think. He's a neocon, he's not the worst guy out there, but anyway, a conservative think tank turns away from Reagan and toward Trump. I wouldn't call that a good headline, but what it's about, Dr. Paul, is this shift 
that people are noticing at the Heritage Foundation, which, as you know, always the biggest hawkish, most warlike, one of the most, you know, they, they and AEI and the others, very, very neocon, very pro-war. Well, they've got a new sheriff in town, Kevin Roberts. Uh, he was uh, head of the Texas Public Policy Institute, which we're familiar with, libertarian-leaning uh, group. And he's now taken over Heritage, and he's, at least it looks like, it's probably too early to tell, but he's turning it in what we would call, and certainly our friend Jimmy Duncan would call, a more conservative direction. Let's go to the next clip, because this is from the article itself. He says, what's more interesting, uh, he said, on Ukraine, Heritage has broken with the center-right think tanks, such as American Enterprise and Hudson, and is aligned with the Center for Renewing America, Koch Institute, and Quincy Institute, who argue for restraint. Uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, in an interview, he said that, uh, uh, hang on a second, he said, Roberts told me he's trying to position Heritage to be relevant to both sides of the conservative foreign policy world, calling himself, quote, a recovering neocon. He said, Washington is caught in a false dichotomy between interventionism and isolationism. Yeah. That last part is pretty encouraging. You know, I think what will eventually happen if the, if, uh, the dispute continues or gets worse, uh, it will be resolved. Uh, for them, it will be pragmatic in a sense. But, you know, it reminds me of how, how they do it uh, with monetary policy. If, if our Federal Reserve uh, overdoes it, prints too much money and there's inflation, they have problems, they have to solve it. Oh, the solution is give them a recession. Oh, we have to raise interest rates. So they nudge the interest rates up and then all of a sudden the stock market goes down and then there's a reaction. Oh, no, we know you're doing the right thing. We know the market would demand a higher interest rate. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, this... Uh, the people have spoken and the business community has spoken. The stock market went down. So they, they give up on it. And that, that has happened. And that people are just, that's all they talk about on the media today on, on, uh, on finances is when, when's the, uh, when, when are they going to change their tune again and uh, give up on raising the interest rates? Well, I think that's uh, sort of the way uh, uh, this, this is too, that they just wonder if uh, what's going to happen to their donation yeah. <laughs> and who, who's supplying it because that it's, it's a powerful talk but that's the that's the wonderful thing i think we have uh with our little organization here but we talk to a lot of people yeah and that is that uh, we don't have to worry about it. we have very very generous people who help us and yet the only qualification is take a look at us to ask us questions, see what we do, where are our positions, and they're going to stay that way if you feel good about it, support it. Yeah. It's not like, oh, well, if you guys don't come out and say such and such, oh, you're going to get cut off. Oh, we don't have to sit around worrying yeah. about that because what we've been so, so pleased that when we have uh, you know, our conferences and get to know the people more, uh, we don't have to uh, you, you know, twist arm in a sense of, over pressure and we've been uh, we've been blessed in that sense and even though uh, we keep saying that someday um, you know maybe there'll be more joining us and say you guys uh, could do better your studio could be improved yeah, a little really bit that sort of thing so yeah. there's a little practice but it, we, it won't be a quid pro quo that's, yeah. that's that's for sure it does make it easier for us we don't have to see which way the wind's blowing but nevertheless i mean i'm encouraged by this and i hope it continues in this direction um, put on the next clip because he says something good about someone we know, uh, and I think that's also a very good sign. If you can put up that next clip. Um, 
It says, after being criticized for Heritage's stance on Ukraine aid, Roberts, the new head of Heritage, praised Senator Rand Paul for his leadership in opposing this aid. A not-so-subtle jab at the GOP's actual leadership, <coughs> McConnell, <coughs> which he called swampy for supporting the assistance package. Now, I like, I like how he frames this. If you can put this next one up. I like how he's framing in this, and this is a very good conservative argument. He said, Roberts claimed the next batch of Ukraine legislation would fund, quote, social justice programs being spent through USAID and, quote, nefarious things that the State Department wants to do. He said he's personally talked with several GOP lawmakers about the issue and predicts more no votes this time around. Quote, that's where the conservative movement is going on foreign policy. This is so important because, you know, a lot of Americans and a lot of conservatives think, oh, we're going to send some aid over there and it's going to go to, to get rid of the bad guys. No, it's going to go to USAID, the State Department, to put up some new LGBT programs and buy some, you know, all sorts of things that, you know, if they want to do it on their own, that's fine. But they're doing all this social justice stuff with our money. And conservatives who support that are nuts. And I'm glad that Kevin Roberts is realizing this. And I hope he continues. You know, maybe they should invite Senator Paul to speak there. That'd be a good <laughs> move. But, you know, uh, the, the weapons things can be put out there on the table. And most Americans say, yes, we have to be strong, especially in the Cold War. There was a lot of weapons out there. We have to be safe. And they go along with the weapons. But then you brought it up. And uh, it wasn't so much at the beginning about the uh, cultural things. And the, the, the cultural thing, they tag along with it. So they might not be promoting it. If they were promoting it, the issues that you mentioned, you know, there'd be more no votes on here. But they promote uh, national security. Uh, freedom. You, you know, freedom. <laughs> and Democracy. Go, go, we, need, we need to go into Iraq because we want to protect our Constitution. Yeah. We have to protect our, our liberties. Yeah. So that, that is a shame. But, uh, but right now, politically, well, it's all money, and that's all part of the problem. But, you know, politically speaking, this cultural uh, effort has been tagged on there. And it, it, because of its uh, broad appeal for different things, they're really in charge of so much that's going on, and, and that's uh, the consequence of it. But, of course, this fits our argument because uh, uh, we, uh, we sort of challenge welfare and warfare. Yeah, exactly. and, and this way... Even though it might have, might have started off on, uh, on weaponry and national defense, it, uh, it really has morphed into something that's a very uh, cultural Marxist. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm going to close by, for the second time, reminding everyone we've got a conference coming up in Lake Jackson. Exciting Lake Jackson, November 5th. It's about, again, a very topical issue, cancel culture and the war on speech. We talk about it a lot, Dr. Paul. We're going to have some great guests, some great speakers. We're going to have a great time. So go to ronpaulinstitute.org and you will find that picture, a little bit of a frightening picture. Just click on it and get your tickets. Come join us down in Lake Jackson. Maybe there'll still be some gators out at the wildlife refuge. You can make a little bit of a vacation, visit some gators and listen to some good speeches.
Well, I'm not messing with those alligators yet. I saw somebody on TV the other day made a pet out of one and no kept, it on, kept it on his lap the whole time he was interviewed and petted this alligator. Oh, that's dangerous. <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to do that. We have enough other alligators to worry about. Some of these people in alligator and, and they come uh, saying, peace, oh, you'll be like that alligator there. Yeah. But we have too many people get into government that way. But it will be interesting. Uh, it, you know, I, I imagine the election this year is going to be about as interesting uh, as uh, most of them because uh, I think there's a lot more at stake. But I still, I still maintain, you can look at the narrow sense and you can look at this next year and, and, uh, and the different things and what the future will bring. But you know, in a way though, my argument uh, is that the two parties aren't that much different. Uh, you'd never, how could I defend that with what's going on today? And they would say, uh, and yet the two parties uh, exist, but on the big issues are the ones that I make a point, uh, they, don't, they aren't a whole lot different, uh, you know, because they, they don't start from a position of, a, uh, of an individual liberty, private property, a free market situation. They, they talk with intervention, less interventions with more. But if you, have, if you have a system where you just have less intervention, you still believe in intervention. And what happens in government, it always grows. And we've been doing that, you know, for a hundred years. But let me tell you, it's, it's running out of steam because we're running out of money. We're running out of wealth and we're running out of freedom. And the antagonism is growing. So let's just hope that I'm completely wrong, that elections don't change things very much. I do know that a lot of people are very hopeful that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, our borders might become secure. <laughs> and and uh, th things like that could be improved. Uh, and just just getting rid of some of the regulations that were totally unnecessary in the uh, energy field might be a big help to us. But ultimately, you know, it's bipartisan. Uh, they generally, both sides support the war, the financing on the wel welfare and the warfare. They support the Federal Reserve. Uh, there's only a few who really care about the deficit and they really understand why deficits are very, very dangerous. And when the correction comes and you the, the, the uh, whole process has been designed, the, the inflation, the spending, the malinvestment, it's all happened already. People say, is there going to be inflation? Yeah, well, there's, what, what you mean the price? are going to go up. Yeah, the inflation we've had, it's been going on. They haven't stopped, but the inflation since 08 with quantitative easing and all these things, that has set the stage for a correction that has not yet uh, accomplished anything because we are doctoring it up and we play these games. And that's why it's so important that we can help people to understand what personal liberty, property rights, free trade, these kind of things that solve the problem by the people making the decision rather than having the politicians making the decision. Because all you have to do is say, Ron, I don't think so. We need them at times. Yeah, like we needed them to really help us get through COVID infection. Yeah, that's a good example. Who made all the money? The drug companies made all, all the money. Whether the drug's really successful, not not too 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 well too much too successful from my viewpoint so it's uh it, it's it's one of those things that people are and will wake up uh, and it's our job 
and others' job is to present the case for liberty because it's such a positive thing and it will answer so many of the questions, but it still boils down to having a society that's made up of people that have a little bit of moral concern about their own activities. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Please return to the Liberty Report soon.